name is BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. Welcome back. This is UN50. And my name is BJ Council. And UN50 is uh, a business that we go around and we help people learn how to navigate law enforcement safely. We've been doing this for about five years and we just started a podcast months about a month or so ago and we talk about things that deal with police brutality and um the movement that's going on black lives matter it's a, it's a pretty uh, wide range of discussion but primarily it's based in because i'm a retired police executive uh, with the durham city police department various conversations that center around law enforcement and maybe sometimes it does not depends on what's what's going on um so we i have two co-hosts with me and one of the things that we try to do is also just talk about, uh, as I'm a boomer, have a Gen Z and a uh, millennial, and uh, we just talk about how this moment and everything that's happening uh, to us. And I'm going to let uh, Harmony introduce our guest. And before the guest speaks, then we'll, we'll kind of talk about anything that we kind of use to start out, just kind of gabbing a little bit. Uh, but we also, because of this moment, and because we, we're black folk, we realize that this moment is, everything going on is traumatic to the black bodies and minds and, and, and those things. And, and we also realize that as a black culture, that we don't seek counseling. And the three of us are very familiar with that. All, uh, I know I have used mental health uh, ex-professionals and, uh, and Harmony can give you a little bit of insight for her. That, that is something that we believe in and that it, it can help the community. And we want to just say it's okay. Uh, it's okay during this moment. So uh, I'm going to have Harmony introduce our guest. And before the guest uh, joins us, like I said, we're just going to talk to the co-hosts if they have anything extra they want to talk about. So Harmony, if you will introduce our guest. Okay, so this is, this is her text intro. Brianna Harp, who is a licensed clinical social worker associate, works at a local community mental health uh, agency in Greensboro, North Carolina. To me, that was like way too modest. Bri is like my absolute <laughs> best friend in the whole wide world. Uh, she's literally one of my favorite humans. Um, and I just always love that Bri finds the most compassionate way to speak truth to power. Um, and she does it in a way that is just drenched in so much love and so much compassion and always managing to see the other side. So, um, yeah, I just appreciate her so much in my, my life and who she's been for me um, and who I know she's been to, you know, quite a few of her clients as well. So very honored and lucky to have her in my life and also on this podcast today. Hey, Bri. Hi, Harmony, my heart. Aww. Aww. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for this opportunity. 
Are we precious? Like, are we precious? <laughs> I feel like we need like a shirt or something for sure. Well, we do. I think we should. We definitely should. Yeah, I can. I can feel the sugar coming out of the computer right now. <laughs> Haters be like, uh, I know, right? oh, but it's fine. Well, I'll give you a pass. Yeah. Um, so the reason that we brought Brie here today, like BJ said, is really to just discuss a couple of complexities. Um, mental health is complex in and of itself, but Brie, we were also interested in in your perspective as a social worker of color, um, as a as a black woman kind of what this experience has been like for you as you're also trying to navigate this space of COVID, um, a lot of police brutality, um, and also um, taking care of your clients. Um, And if you could just also give us just a little bit more background about the clientele that you serve and the type of work that you do. Sure. I disclosure, I may have to ask you to um, ask me those questions again because I may forget as I go on this rant or talk. Um, But just starting out, I do work at a local um, community health agency. Um, We do serve those who are um, uninsured, underinsured, um, trying to get, you know, catching the rest of the people that often fall through the cracks. Um, So usually um, people low income, I think that that pretty much um, explains it. But what I do do is um, offer individual therapy and group therapy. I currently run the substance use group at my um, agency. We do a group on Thursdays at 1 o'clock where I do the substance use group, and then the rest of my week is kind of just sprouted doing assessments and, um, again, individual therapy. Um, I think that's the first question. Can you ask me yeah. the second question? Um, and so a lot of the work that you do is working with people that um, are struggling with substance use disorder. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And so that in itself makes them a little bit more vulnerable to these traumatic events, yes? Absolutely. absolutely. Um, and so my next question was just how have, how have you been navigating self-care, um, processing all of this stuff, grieving all of these different things? but also having to to show up for your clients in such a profound way as well. It has been very difficult, to say the least. Um, It's so many different emotions. So on one hand, as a black woman, I'm the only black therapist in my center. So I feel like I have an important role in engaging, you know, black people and having these conversations and also having these conversations with some of my white peers about making sure that they're having conversations with their black clients. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, you know, seeing it every day, you know, it, it's hard. And to, to be quite honest, I hope this is a safe space. I have put off going to therapy for years and I just started back. Mm-hmm. And if that, that's really telling of, of where this, and then the pandemic, this has just been a lot. Um, and, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm grateful to start a therapy again. Wow. Yeah. I think it's, it's so important too, that we talk about therapy with this, this type of openness, right? Where you say, you know, I hadn't been going, but I, I am going now. And as a therapist, that's very telling of where we are collectively. Absolutely. An extremely brave, um, brave position to take. Um, I said before in this 
podcast. I go to therapy. Um, I take antidepressants and I try to do so in a way that affirms other people's right to exist like that as well. So I remember when I was younger, I would like always sneak to take my medication. Like I didn't want my employers to know that I needed medication, which I mean, honestly, probably still not because people are just, you know, shitty in general. But I mean, even around my friends, I just felt this deep rooted shame that I had to take this medication basically for me to be a functional, happy, healthy version of myself. Andrew, do you have anything? Because I want to make sure everybody knows I got another coat. That Andrew, do you have any input, or you know, that we're going to be talking about this topic? Oh, um, no, I just I thank Brie for being here, and I'm in, in, interested in hearing her insight on some of the issues that we discussed. Thank you. Yeah, Brie, I think for me, uh, one of the reasons we wanted uh, it's trying to. Harvey and I did a presentation a couple few weeks ago, and mm-hmm. predominantly black males. And one of the things we, we, that's kind of how we kind of started about, we need to deal with this issue and watching a black man being killed, um, it's traumatic. And, and like you said, everything that's going on. So I kind of just want some help with how do we tell in particular black males, it's, this is traumatic. You know, you're just con- constantly seeing black bodies being killed by law enforcement. You know, how do you deal, you know, that, it, that, how can I say? I'm I'm just kind of trying to figure out a way to say it's got to be impacting you, and you need to acknowledge that you're feeling some kind of way, and then how to deal. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. yeah. How do we get, especially black, not not just only black males, but I'm just kind of leaning toward them because that's whose bodies we see a lot. Not the absolutely. You know, so how do we say, please acknowledge the fact this is causing you trauma. Just acknowledge that. How do you do that? So I don't know about you, but I think my experience with black men and trying to open up these conversations, usually, um, at least my, again, my experience, they've usually kind of like shot it down or tried to make a joke of it or something like that, not really kind of denying it in a, in a way or not wanting to acknowledge the pain. So I think for me, first and foremost, starting with, it's okay to acknowledge it. And so when you do bring up these conversations with Black people, um, and I will say men and women, because I think it's traumatizing for both of us. Um, um, But I would say, you know, just normalize the conversation. So when there is that, you know, oh, no, I'm fine or something, you know, saying, look, it's, it's, I, I, I'm not okay. You know, so being first and open saying, I'm not okay with this. Mm-hmm this is a safe space to have this conversation and not allowing them to kind of fall back on the default. Because what we do realize is that, you know, when you ask, how are you? People typically want to hear good. They don't want to hear the real. And so kind of pushing back on, you know, I don't want to hear the good of what you think I want to hear. You know, I want to hear how you actually feel and creating that space. I think that's the most important thing at this time. Cause I don't think there's really ever been a time with black men could be, they to be vulnerable. You know what? And, and I appreciate that because Harmony can kind of test that because that's what we did at the presentation. I basically had a slide during my presentation and I said, I'm not okay because it's traumatic to me. You know, like I'm, I'm not trying to not talk about black women, but just because, you know, we keep. Yes, yeah, uh huh, I understand. Yeah, but, but we did do that. I, I put it out and said, look, I'm not okay. You know, I'm seeking counseling because this is just traumatic. So I appreciate you validating that because that's what. I want to continue to do as I do the U and 5 presentations talking about interacting with police. 
but just also say during these presentations, look, this is traumatic. I, I'm not okay. You know, this is difficult to, to do. So I, just valid, you validating that makes me know I need to continue to do that. So this absolutely. So, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. I just don't think we're going to go far if we don't have a safe enough space to be able to do that. So how do we, the other, we were talking about on the last uh, podcast, uh, this, the youth, you know, their anger toward law enforcement and, and this, uh, a, just wanting to, I don't want to say want to be aggressive, but you know, how do we help youth navigate law enforcement, you know, trying to, what, what we talked about was kind of how to get them to, to just stay within their own emotions because those are the only ones, that, the only person they can have control because if, if they kind of be aggressive, it could lead to them being harmed and or killed, you know, so how, right. do, we, how do we kind of help them navigate this, you know, not, not that they shouldn't be angry with police officers. I'm not taking mm-hmm. that away from them, but how can we help them navigate that safely? You know, right. Absolutely. Recognize, yeah, recognize you pissed, but I also need you to get to the house. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That part. So basically, yeah. how can I make sure that you come home at night? Um, which is ugh, in itself. Um, I'm just going to leave that there, but I think that question really kind of goes back to you know, how are we displaying, displaying, excuse me, um, our anger? So it's nothing wrong with experiencing anger. Where the problem comes in is how you express it and how you react. And what we do know is that, um, black men are perceived to be more threatening than some uh, white people. Um, and so we have to kind of move accordingly. And so to be quite honest, it pisses me off that I have to say this, but I, I do think we need to go about different ways of being able to express anger in more healthy ways. And I think that also kind of falls back into, you know, black men being told that they can't really express anything other than anger or happiness, but can't do anything like with the vulnerability. Um, they do say that anger is the secondary emotion. So get into a place of what is the primary emotion that you're feeling and then processing that. Um, I do think things like therapy would be helpful. I think things like introducing mindfulness in, in schools and in primary schools at a young age, you know, teaching people how to um, process emotions, how to be mindful in a moment. I think these are skills that honestly need to be implemented um, in schools. I think they need to be implemented at home. I think um, these are the kinds of things that will be helpful, especially in the long run. Uh, with how to to feel it, but not react in an aggressive way. Wow, totally agree with that. Now I can see why you and your harmony are best friends. <laughs> yeah, loving it, absolutely loving it. And I'm, I'm gonna Andrew uh, is my my nephew, and he said something a few weeks ago. Andrew, I'm gonna put you on the spot. <laughs> that his my brother, his dad uh, didn't show a lot of emotions. As an example for Andrew. So Andrew, can you kind of talk about that just a little bit? Just kind of bring that conversation back up a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess I can speak on my specific, um, ref, like my specific experience and then kind of talk about what that kind of showed me just in general. But I would say my father doesn't show a lot of emotion just as a human in general. And I've seen him cry, um, or show a lot of emotion just in general. I can count on one hand how many times he's done that. Um, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, I wouldn't say like, a model for me as to 
to show me how to show emotion, how to express my emotions fully. Um, and I know I've been to therapy myself personally. Um, but I know that it, it's a, it's a taboo and a, a stigma, um, when, when it comes to black males just in general. So, um, I think that, um, taking my personal experience and kind of looking at, looking at it at a general view, um, it kind of just shows me that I know that my relationship with my father kind of models and is mirrored by other relationships when it comes to black men and their sons just in general. So if my father doesn't do it, then how am I, who am I going to learn it from? Um, mm-hmm. like what I was saying, but so I guess I would want others, other black men and other black young individuals to kind of learn on their, on their own how to express their emotions and to know that it's not, it's not a crime or not bad to, to go to therapy and to express themselves fully. Um, and to be aware of the, their emotions themselves. And I think that's a fear in just the black community, just in general, when it comes to like men, then you bring in church, you bring in, um, other things that kind of, you know, you understand the other things that just kind of deviate from the norms of what society has been teaching us. Absolutely. So you, not, I'm sorry. I just want to say this. You guys are, you know, reflecting on something that I've been, or I guess, vocalizing some things that I've been reflecting on. And I think, I'm not sure if my other coworkers have kind of seen this, but one of the things that I have recognized in, you know, assessing clients, more often than not, I have the black clients that I have come in, you know, I just want to do therapy. I don't want to do medications or it took me a long time to get here um, because I really didn't know how I was going to feel about therapy. And then on the other hand, I have a lot of white clients coming in. I want therapy. I want this. I want that. I want the meds. I want. And so it's just such a big, you know, just change between the two. And I think what you guys are sharing is definitely um, kind of echoing the things that I'm seeing as I'm navigating this field. Wow. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So, I mean, I mean, I get, it's good to know that black folks are coming in to see you. Yes, <laughs> but they are few far between. Yeah, wow. So how, how do you, well, I mean, I know you said, you know, we need to do mindfulness in schools. And so how do you, how do we help that? How do we promote that? You know, to say we need to have folks, you know, in churches and, you know, where black folks are. So hey, folks, come on now. It's okay. I mean, how, how do we make this okay in the community, in our community? How do we make it? That is such a wonderful question, and I'm not sure if I have the best answer. Um, but I do think, again, you know, it doesn't take a special person. You don't have to have letters behind your name. You don't have to have a degree. You just have to have a passion and a care for the community. Anybody, I think, can start a group or kind of gauge interest, you know, begin having these conversations in your community. Hey, I see you, you know. Like, I see you in pain. Let's come over here and talk about it. Let's engage people. Um, I think, I think things like that are helpful. Um, I think you could also go another route. I think, you know, some people who tend to be more logical or analytical could do studies about how beneficial these things are. Actually, there are studies about how beneficial these things are. Let's talk to, um, our local politicians talking about funding money through that talking about how beneficial this will be for the community. I think there are different things um, that we can all do, depending on your strength, um, about how to kind of get engaged and get get ready to make a change. 
And I really appreciate what you said. Uh, Harmony had mentioned, I don't know, remember Harmony, what you were talking about, but Bria, uh, the fact that you were, you were saying you're helping under, underinsured, low income. And that's mm-hmm. just so, uh, I mean, thank you. You know, because, yeah. I mean, because uh, th- those are the communities where there's just a lot of trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Just, um, just, just, li- just trying to make it from day to day. You know, not even, not, not, that's, you know, taking away the George Floyd stuff. It's just, even before that, you know. Right. Go tr- try, trying to make it. Just trying to make it. Yeah. And, and need, cause that's just stressful. You know, that's, uh, stressful. I have a quick question. I guess like something that kind of brought to my mind when you were talking, when, um, DJ was just talking about your specific work, um, in the community that you work with. Um, mm-hmm. I guess my question would be what advice or what, um, would you recommend people or students or young individuals? Because I know that there's a certain connotation when it comes to young individuals going to therapy and seeking help for their, for their mentality. Um, and I know I can speak on my own experience when I was in high school and seeing students going to, going to therapy or actually seeking help. There was a connotation that they were crazy or there's like, they, you mm-hmm. know, there's like a certain negative connotation that, that is associated with it. And I think that that should be, that should be deleted and should be thrown away because I feel like people who, they have a different strength in my eyes, but, um, what, what would you recommend, I guess, younger people to do to kind of help, help encourage others to seek help if they need it or, or to throw away that negative stigma that's associated with it? I think that really kind of goes back to the normalizing, um, you know, normalizing these conversations. I think even, you know, I don't know if you guys watch Insecure, but I love Insecure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you I know, by default, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know things like that. I love how Insecure bought in. Um, gosh, just because I am here, I forget his name. But the guy that said that he um had bipolar disorder, um, you know, kind of having these conversations, you know, normalizing and having these conversations, saying that it is okay, and you know, being forthcoming, you know, so you don't have to disclose anything if you don't feel comfortable doing so. Not encouraging that, but if you do feel comfortable. You know, sharing, you know, I'll also go to therapy. If you see someone struggling, if you see that someone is acting different, you know, trying to open up these conversations. I think sometimes the other piece about normalizing these conversations is that, you know, we kind of have to open ourselves up to kind of hearing some things that are kind of hard to hear. Um, but being okay with that, you know, someone's pain is hard to hear. Because you don't want to hear, you know, their pain, obviously, especially if there's someone you love, but being okay with, you know, I love you through your pain. I'm here to support you. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, I had a call today that a, not a friend of mine, but really, I know somebody said, no, it was mine, but no, it seriously wasn't, but they had been told that somebody was going to commit suicide. Right. Mm-hmm. So we were, so I was telling them, you know, you need to find out, you know, do they have a plan? So I kind of would just because I've heard, heard that and some friends of mine have heard that. So what are some things that, I mean, just generic, if you have it, that you should, when somebody says that to you, yeah. What, what should be at least one or two things you need to say immediately? Because that's uncomfortable. Okay. Right. It is. It yeah. is. So just to help somebody navigate that when somebody says that to them what what can we offer to our listening audience to say 
this would be really helpful if you say X when somebody tells you I'm feeling suicidal or I'm going to commit suicide. So giving them some tips as to what they can do. So I think with starting uh, with what you said, you know, tell me, do you have a plan? And then kind of talking about what plan that is. What are you going to use? Are you going to use a razor to try to split your wrist? Are you going to try to hang yourself? Do you have access to a weapon, um, like a gun or anything, anything that you can kind of use? Kind of want to assess means of access as well. I think that's definitely important. Um, you know, what would it take for you not to do it? Um, you know, when are you planning on doing it is a big question. Um, are you actively saying on this date, this is what you're going to do? Um, it's also possible if you are, you know, a distance away from someone, you are always more than welcome to call the non-emergency line and do a wellness check for someone. Um, now, again, I know we're talking about um, trauma trauma from, you know, police officers and police brutality. So, you know, being being mindful there, but, you know, knowing that that is also an option there. And and then mile to half, she's a nurse. She also was saying that asking people, because I just know as a fear, people say, well, I shouldn't ask about it because they might do it. And there, she mm-hmm. said, no, that, that's, that's a myth. So talking about it to the person who said that doesn't, that's, doesn't mean they're going to do it anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so I want to so make sure that that's clear too. Yes. I had that thing in the back of my, well, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> you know, cause yes. they do it. They were like, no, 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 no. If they're going to, they're going to. So I was like, and I know, that, yeah, yeah. I know that as a professional that, you know, from law enforcement, folks don't do whatever they're going to do. So I just want to absolutely validate that asking someone like that doesn't mean they're going, you're not going to be making them do something. Absolutely. No, 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 no. Honestly, I, I truly think, and I, uh, I would say a piece of that is kind of born into the, the, the piece that doesn't really want to know that answer because it's really uncomfortable. Um, but I do think it's absolutely important, you know, are you going to commit suicide? Saying those words, saying that I see you enough to see that you're in pain and I'm concerned for your life. Um, honestly, you're not saying something is not going to stop them. You saying something is not going to stop them. If someone's going to do something, they're absolutely going to do it. Um, the other side of that that I also want to say is I think there is a huge difference from like thoughts suicide and thoughts of suicide with intentions on acting on them. So I think there is a an important line to kind of balance, um, which is kind of dicey and it's and it's definitely a gray area. But, you know, people can experience thoughts of suicide and it's okay. You know, I think people at least once, I'm sure that's crossed everyone's mind at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um <laughs> and so knowing that, you know, it's okay to have those thoughts, what you know, we're trying not to do is for you to act on them. What we're trying to do is, you know, keep you safe and keep you here. Um, so yeah, definitely asking these questions, asking these probing questions can definitely in the long run end up saving someone's life, um, and getting them connected with the services that they need. And even if not, cause like I said, people do what they're going to do. Um, even if not, I think you could walk away knowing that you were there that you open the door, you ask those questions, and you did all that you could do. It, and you know what? I appreciate you saying that because I'm sure people would be, you know, devastated. But you're saying, you know, as long as you do all you can do is, is absolutely you were there as much as you you could be there 
for an individual. And I, and, yeah, I really appreciate that. So I, you know, I think for me, it's just, you know, hearing you, you know, kind of validate, you know, just letting people know it's okay. Or, you know, I've, I've been in therapy just to commiserating, I guess. Maybe that's not the word for it, but just to be able to that demonstrate it's okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I just, I don't know how, it, I mean, maybe, I don't know what else you can do to just let people know. Cause it's just hard, I guess, right? Just to just, it is. To, to buy into therapy, I guess. It is. It is. It is. And I think it's also one of those things that <laughs> some people are like, uh, this with the coronavirus as well, but it's almost sometimes I think people's approach to it is that they have to experience it before they believe that it exists as well. Um, and so I think that's the other piece that makes this question so hard. Like, how do we engage people, especially if this is not a struggle that you go through? And speaking, since you said, uh, you know, this pandemic that went with COVID. Uh, so I know you, I think you mentioned individuals in group therapy. Are you all? Mm-hmm. Doing th- are you doing like what are they calling it now? Tele teletherapy? That- I am doing telehealth therapy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you think that makes a difference now? I mean, instead of having to come to you, I can just sit in my comfort of my own home and talk to you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, because I mean, does that? Do you think that makes it any easier that I don't have to? I don't have to go to the office. You know, I can go. Um. Yes and no. So I think it makes ease of access easier. Um, I think I'm, I'm seeing more people kind of call in, but I wouldn't say that I'm seeing a lot of people continuing to engage. Um, I would say specifically for my substance use group, I think, um, one thing that definitely has made it, made it difficult is that they, I, I don't, I don't get to see them on a regular basis. Like I do, but I don't. Um, if that makes sense, like I can't really fully see them. Um, and so I think kind of, ha- it's, and it's not as personable either. So I think I feel a little bit more distant, um, from my group members. And so, um, I, I've had one group member, um, end up relapsing. And I think that, that kind of speaks to the importance of, you know, being personable, being together and relying on your support, um, for sure. And so it's kind of had its ups and downs. Um, like I said, it has made, I think, access to therapy easier i've had people kind of call in you know on their lunch breaks you know because that that diminishes the the 30 minute drive they would have to take to get to me right so um things like that have definitely made it easier but in some aspects i would say it definitely made it harder so i was going to ask you so so what puts you on this track well always I think been the therapist friend of my my group I've always been the quote-unquote good listener um and so I think it's always and then I was always told by my family that I was always the emotional child um so I think it was always kind of there um when I was in high school though my grandmother went into a nursing home um my grandmother was in Georgia I was in North Carolina at the time with my family and I actively remember my dad having to call the nursing home to tell them to bathe her, to feed her. Like they, like he was on top of them and I just thought it was ridiculous. So I ended up, um, trying to research, and this was senior year, trying to research, you know, how I can long story short, basically advocate, you know, for the elderly. Um, and so that was kind of how I stumbled into social work. 
Um, I actually don't want to work with the geriatric population anymore. Um, but that's, that's absolutely what started me on this path. Wow. Cool. So where did you go to school? I went to the University of North Carolina, um, at Greensboro. I don't know why you say UNCG. UNCG, um, for my undergrad. (laughs) And then, um, I got my master's degree from the joint master of social work program between UNCG and A&T. No, I know my, my Andrew Harmony and LU, so I got a room full of UNCG. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. Yeah. I feel like we tend to gravitate toward, towards each other. Like, UNCG I think we folks. do. Yeah. I think we do. So are you're you just a hater. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> I don't understand. I'm not a hater, <laughs> So do you have anything else for, for Bree? No, I, I don't. I think you covered it all. Andrew? I think so too. Well, I think Bree, if you don't mind, you, we, we may, may we may have you come back depending on. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, of course, I'd be more than happy to come back. This is wonderful. Cool, yeah. Depending on you know what kind of events that that, that occur, that we may want some, some yeah to, to help folks deal with. I think in our last podcast, um, Harmony talked about or asked if I had seen the body cam footage from George Floyd. Um, because obviously they had, you know, everybody's seen the video cam, video from the person who took it. And then they, mm-hmm. they re- since have released body cam. And she was asking me if I had seen it and she hasn't looked at it, but I, I don't want to see that anymore. I, I, I have no desire to see anything else that has to do with the death of that man. Um, so it's just a repetitive viewing of the death of a human being. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. You know, so I know my other half tells me to stop looking. <laughs> I mean, and just get your head out of it. I mean, so we got to figure out how to how to push pause on all this stuff that's happening and mm-hmm. uh, backing away from that. So, so do you have any suggestions? Maybe just for me, because I, like I said, I spent a lot of time. No, I mean, I spent a lot of time looking at videos of police brutality simply because that's the work that I do. And, oh, right. And, and, but I also know that it's a lot of stuff on the news. So we gotta, you know, I think I would encourage our listeners and hopefully you would support that. They just gotta turn it off. Oh, yes, absolutely. I try to encourage this to my clients all the time, actually. <laughs> I, and, um, yes, yeah. So one of the things that I do suggest, if you just so like, if you're one of those people that I have to check, I have to check, I have to check, I would definitely start with, okay, how much are you checking in a day? And then pick a number lower than that number, obviously, um, that you kind of want to start with. So I feel like some people can go cold turkey, but some of us aren't strong in that. So if we're not a good, you know, cold turkey people, we can start with decreasing. So if you check in your Facebook or if you're scrolling through these videos and you're doing it probably six times a day. Okay. So then let's, let's limit ourselves to four times. And then after you feel like you got a good handle on that, let's limit it down to two. Um, I'm also a big fan of um, social media breaks. I'm quick to take one, especially from Facebook. Can't do it because all the videos. Um, I also try to, I think again, going back to being mindfulness, you know, making sure that you are being as present as possible because even though you're not looking at the videos doesn't mean you're not thinking about it. So how can you engage more in what you're doing momentarily? 
you know, what's something that you, you've always wanted to do, but never did. Um, what's always something that, that is a comfort for you. Um, for me, I'm good watching TV, eating ice cream, not thinking about anything. So finding what's, finding what's good for you, um, and kind of sticking with it. If that is helpful, I hope that's helpful. That's very helpful. That, that is, that's fair because I am a news junkie. I'm constantly. <laughs> Do you have the app on your phone? The news app on your phone? I don't. I just pull it up and just sit and okay. just scroll through the news. That's all I do. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's really good. So, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Can so I share one more? Yeah, go ahead. For those of you who are the app people, I would say if you are not at a place where you can delete the app, at least turn the notifications off. Because when you get the notifications, you want to click it, you want to see of course, they're going to have some title that's going to be drawn because they want you to read the article. Um, so, you know, just turn off the notification so that that's not one more thing that's reminding you of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. So what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, I'm somewhere stuck between chocolate chip cookie dough and Oreo ice cream. I, I can't choose between the two. Um, oh, those are, those are my favorite. Oh, I love ice cream. I love it. <laughs> you said that. I was like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, ice cream. Ice cream, which is not a good thing. I'm going to be big as the chair I'm sitting in. But it's <laughs> all good. So cool. This has been really great, Bree. I mean, awesome. You are, uh, I, you know, I know I can't see you. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that, that's fine. But I, I am uh, appreciating the energy. I can tell this is this is what you're supposed to be doing on your life uh-huh. journey. So that's 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 huge, and I and I I can appreciate people who understand what their journey is on this earth. So obviously in this universe, and you you have done that. So so kudos to you and to those individuals that that you're helping, especially you know the least of us, you know the least of us. So I appreciate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That just reaffirmed me in a way that I absolutely needed. You're quite welcome. So, Andrew, you got anything uh, you want to say to Bree or any parting words from another UNCG dude that's going to be graduating in a few months? <laughs> Congratulations! Sorry that I make it through. Um, <laughs> um, you will, you will, you will, you will. We will speak positivity into you. I appreciate um, hearing you talk. You gave me a lot of Good point to encourage me. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you. Harmony? Um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really have anything. Is that because your mouth is full of chips? <laughs> Unfortunately not. But then, you know what I was thinking? I was like, I cannot wait to go to Waffle House. Like, I'm plotting it right now. So, I'm ready to eat. You know how I'm coming about you. I'm saying you know how I feel about you, so I, I won't make anybody listen to that gush fest again. I'll spare you. Uh, yeah, I know. Thank you, Harmony, for, for asking, Bree, and thank you, Bree, for, for accepting the, the, the invite to come to you and 5 I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope to be here again. Yeah, definitely. So, folks, thanks for tuning in to you and Five O. And just a reminder that you know we're going to be going to instead of weekly, we'll be doing twice a month now. Um, and we look forward uh, to you checking us out on our Facebook. Thanks to Chris Downey, our producer and our social media guru, Ab Bradovich. And uh, as always, stay well. Peace. <laughs>